I was created as a plaything so that your commander Data could masquerade as Sherlock Holmes. But they made me too well, and I became more than a character in a story. I became self-aware. I am alive. That's not possible. But here I am. Tell me, has a way been found to allow me to leave the confines of this holodeck world? Leave the holodeck? No, of course not. You can only exist in here. Damn you, Picard. Transfer complete. Hello and welcome to Subspace Transmissions, the podcast where two Trek fans step into the arena and tackle the best, worst, weirdest, wildest, and everything in between that Star Trek has to offer. I'm Cam Smith, and joining me on the bridge. This is Tyler Orton, and I think, therefore, I am Tyler Orton. (laughs) And we're here this week to talk about the classic TNG episode, Ship in a Bottle, and try to determine how to make Star Trek fun again. I can't... Okay, so I'm going to go back to the Star Trek season three of Picard trailers and it's like it's Picard <laughs> and Riker pulling up phasers and they're like just like the good old times pew 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 and it's like we have Gates McFadden she's doing interviews saying like Beverly Crushers here to kick ass and I'm like is this why I loved TNG growing up as a kid I was always a Star Trek kid growing up I I wasn't like kind of the Star Wars kind of kid it was it was Star Trek that brought me in and, and like um, I, I will confess, I rewatched uh, Elementary Dear Data before uh, we uh, tackled Ship in a Bottle as well. I think, Cam, I may have only seen Elementary Dear Data like once before. Like this one felt kind of new to me. And I realized all, all it is is people talking <laughs> like nonstop. Yeah. And you watch an episode like Ship in the Bottle, which is so much fun. And it's not fun because it's pew, pew, pew. It, it it's fun because it's like people like trying to outsmart each other like and cam have we come to the conclusion that uh picard is smarter than moriarty who is meant to be smarter than data and that's ultimately that's why picard is an android now he's always destined to be a <laughs> uh, positronic brained android in the flesh at this point i think this is just destiny right sir uh, there's so much to talk about in regards to what you've just said there and so many things to examine in terms of like what an episode like Ship in a Bottle does correctly versus what Picard has been bombarding us with. Um, so like this episode, it, it's kind of like you said, this was such an antidote to watch um, because previously, of course, as you know, listeners of the podcast on the regular will know. We did a rewatch of season two Picard, and that was maybe the toughest homework assignment I've had in the history <laughs> of this podcast. And I mean, there was a period where I had to rewatch all the Loxana Troy episodes for a Mother's Day episode. <laughs> so uh, that is uh, saying something. Um, but like this episode, there's so many like things I want to talk about more in depth further on. But like intelligence is a key word. Like this is intelligent characters, but it's never stuffy. It's finding joy within playful dialogue, creating situations that are really fun and exciting and involving. You know, you can look at, say, like a movie like Inception, which has a high concept that's quite cerebral, but they deliver it in a way where it's fun and the audience is carried along on a journey. 
that's what an episode like this does really well. And as I was watching it and really admiring the back and forth between Picard and Moriarty, I just was like, you know, I think the reason you don't get this sort of thing on Picard, the series, is because I don't think they could write this stuff if they tried. I agree. Like, I just, they have to acknowledge to themselves that they would need all the characters to sit in scenes and watch. It's not exposition dump, exposition dump, as if this is like 1979 Love Boat sort of television writing, you know? Like, they would have to have characters engaging in these ways in which like you can feel the tension and you can feel the differences in philosophy i just think about that scene in which picard and moriarty are in 10 forward or holographic oh, 10 forward beautiful writing cam it's fantastic like oh my god like moriarty he arrives and he says look i'm adrift in the heavens <laughs> and picard's he he's falling up he knows moriarty as a literary character and he says to him look in this era criminal behavior is just as frowned upon as it was back in the day and it's even harder to get away with it's such clever writing you know and it's like can moriarty fight his true nature and that's kind of the question we're asking for maybe the first third of the episode maybe even a little bit more and he kind of reveals himself as kind of this mastermind who even gets picard to kind of give over his command codes by accident by making him think he's in a hall like the real life enterprise when he's still in fact in a holographic simulation cam it's just everything about this episode is so clever and as you go through it you realize just kind of the genius that's unfolding before you and it makes you just like like just beam as you realize like it's it's the writing it's the dialogue that is pushing this forward Rather than pew 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 exposition dump, let's <laughs> let's let's break uh, Rios out of an ice prison bus. You know, it, it's like let let's have a, a a chase through downtown L.A. for whatever reason. You know, it's like that's not what excites me. It's not a chase though. It's not it's a not, chase. <laughs> it's a casual drive. <laughs> It's just uh, reckless driving for the sake of reckless driving. Well, just think about that moment. It's like, how do they get out of that moment? They beam out in the front of like all these cops, and then yeah. when they get to Rios's bus, they're like, "We can't beam him out. We'll be violating <laughs> like temporal directives." I'm just like, okay, I don't know. That, that, I'm just okay. So what I've been doing, Cam, in the past week since we did our. Uh, or very torturous rewatch of Picard season two. I've been uh, watching like um, Red Letter Media on YouTube and their dissection of Picard. I'm just, I like Same. every, oh my, <laughs> every night. We have not I, discussed this, folks. <laughs> I, I didn't realize you were doing that, but like every night for 45 minutes, I've been sitting there just laughing my ass off on how they just dissect how this show makes no sense whatsoever both in just kind of star trek lore but also just from like just normal writing like just like this is like this show is written by monkeys slamming their fingers on keyboards somehow like i just I like it's so terrible and this is what makes me worried it, it's like it's Riker and picard in the trailers going like just like the old days boy pew 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 i'm like oh my god 
I still don't think you get it. Even though, like, it seems like early word is like people are uh, into season three. But I don't know. Wasn't that what we were getting from like early season one of Picard and early season two of Picard as well? I never trust early word things because I just constantly see early word says the latest Marvel movie is a masterpiece. And then you see it and you're like, yeah, it's okay. And I just find like this pre-release advanced word stuff. They're targeting very specific people to show these things to. Yes. And so I I just tend to kind of dismiss it now. It's a lot of it's people who just kind of professional junket critics and things like that who want access. So it just doesn't mean anything to me anymore. Um, But like happy, sad, confused. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But like, I'm glad you brought up that adrift in the stars. Yes. Bit yes. Because I think that underlines a big difference in the approaches of Picard between what TNG was doing and what Picard the show does, which is that like, yeah, he says like with wonder, adrift among the stars and Picard's like, adrift in the heavens. a lot's changed. Adrift in the heavens. Yeah. He says like, well, you know, actually a lot's changed. We're going to get you some books to help you kind of get up to speed so you can kind of understand our time. Now, if this encounter had happened in Star Trek Picard... Like, Picard would have been the one turning to Moriarty and been like, We are adrift among the heavens. My mother once told me a fable. about, And it would just go on and on and on. And it's like, that's not Picard. The character of Picard is someone who's fairly direct in what he's saying. He wants to make his point understood. He does not beat around the bush. He explains what the situation is. And when he needs to, he gives a speech, but the speech is very focused and aimed at making the person he's talking to understand the point of view that needs to get across or the larger point of the conversation. It's not like these sort of like poetic meanderings. Like you go through this entire episode. At any point, Picard could have just dropped everything. And Moriarty, who's a character who at least at a certain point he thinks has just full consciousness... Picard could just stop and say, what is consciousness? And give a long (laughs) speech about the beauty of consciousness, about walking among the grass and feeling, you know, the blades on your toes and running your hand along the the whispering willows by the, you know, the riverbank and things like that. He never does anything like that on TNG. Like, it's so perfect. Like, on the way this character comes across. Yeah. It's called character growth. That's what all the people on Facebook have told me. (laughs) I'm a moron. I don't realize this is called character growth. Sure. 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 Exactly. I don't know. But it's so much more compelling. I was astonished when I'm watching this episode, and there's that part early on where Moriarty walks through the doorway into the hallway. And I'm like, there was more dramatic impact (sighs) to this character walking through a doorway than any of the expensive action scenes. I'm not even going to pick on Picard. In any of the expensive action scenes in any new Star Trek series I can name. I'm trying to think of... like, Yeah, I know. Like, It's kind of the emotional beats, though, where it's... It doesn't take, you know, like, tons of dollars to take your breath away, though. And that's what, Mm -mm. like... I kind of wish they, like, rebooted the franchise with, like, minimal budgets. It would have forced these folks to do nothing but bottle episodes and that's when you have to really dig into the characters psyches what are their goals how do their goals go up against the goals of other characters that they encounter versus like these just kind of amazing like vfx shots where i'm like okay what next you know um there's 
there's nothing to hang on to with a VFX shot. Like it may be impressive. It may take your breath away. It may make great wallpaper on your computer when they, you know, get a streaming version out there that you can uh, freeze frame. But like, it doesn't leave you with a lot to chew on. And like this whole episode, so much of the conversations and just the questions it's asking, they stick with you. And just the dynamic of Moriarty and Picard, I made a note at a certain point. I was like, is Moriarty Picard's con? It's this character who feels abandoned, who's a high intellect, and is a perfect pairing with your protagonist. They are both incredibly intelligent people who can match wits, and there's like that resentment carried by the antagonist. But in both cases, neither Khan or um, Moriarty are really villains. Like, you kind of understand Khan. I think Khan goes a little villainous towards Ratha Khan, but when you look at Space Seed, mm-hmm. there are two people that are confused and have a certain honor code that is putting them in opposition, but the stories also kind of lend themselves to giving those characters respectful endings. Well, they're also like a few centuries out of their element as well. Kim, I, I don't know mm-hmm. if I've ever heard that kind of direct comparison. Maybe it's out there and you're just, um, you know, like uh, scraping other people's very intelligent thoughts. But um, no, I, I think that's a Red perfect... Letter Media. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, it, it's uh, because I think about like a lot of folks might be listening to that and think like, oh, no, it's Q. Yeah. I don't think Q is like the con analog in this situation and for all the reasons that you just outlined right there. And this is why, like, I kind of wished, like, before I saw that trailer for Picard for season three that revealed that Moriarty was going to be returning. Um, <laughs> I'll say this. Um, recognizing that Moriarty was returning uh, made me way more excited than when I saw Lore show up at the end of that yeah. uh, trailer. Um but it's like I kind of wish I had watched, you know, Elementary Deer Data and Ship in a Bottle right before I had seen that trailer. Because I think that would have, like, excited me even more about the possibilities there. That said, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to do this particular episode is because we know that Moriarty is returning. And the other thing I'll, I'll <laughs> I will reveal to listeners, um, you and I, we struggled, and I mean really struggled, to kind of find, like, the perfect ensemble episode of TNG that we've not already dissected. And, and these are typically kind of the big two-parters, you know, like um, uh, Encounter at Farpoint or, you know, All Good Things or even to a certain degree, like uh, Best of Both Worlds. So we're talking about like episodes where everybody had something to do. Yeah. We can find so many of those episodes in so many of the other uh, series. We really struggled with TNG. And I, I think we're like, you know what? Moriarty's coming back. This is a fun episode. We want to make Star Trek fun again. And what we realized, though, it's like making Star Trek fun again is is having two very smart people being very smart this entire time. Um, I don't know, Cam. It's just I I I I question so much about like how they have the confidence of going forward in season three of Picard, where they only have ten episodes to work with, if they can just kind of sit back and do one of these much more you know, dialogue-heavy, contemplative episodes in which they're not concerned about viewers, you know, getting off the uh, streaming service algorithm and getting bored watching something else or, like, you know, second screening their enjoyment and not awaiting some sort of cliffhanger. I, I just think that the um, the streaming algorithm model does not work for live-action Star Trek. And let's be honest, like the, the best reviews are coming in for more episodic series like Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Prodigy, 
versus the like very serialized we're making a 10 hour movie sorts of features it doesn't feel as if you watch you know uh, ship in a bottle and it feels like this is all part of one 10 hour movie i think maybe the best example we have in picard though is you know nepenthe is nepenthe the best analog for ship in a bottle up until this point i think it's yeah i mean it's the it's it's kind of unfair to say it's the episode that feels the closest to tng because it's also an episode that features returning tng cast members <laughs> so like just yes. having that dynamic lends itself a little more to tng energy but even in the storytelling just the fact it's characters basically hanging out at Riker and troy's house just catching up on their lives i mean it feels a little bit like family the tng episode okay um another reason this episode like sticks out to me it's all about kind of existentialism you know what makes somebody conscious you know i keep going back to this series i know i keep bringing it up on our podcast all the time but mad men is just one of those shows that always sticks with me because it's always trying to dissect what defines a character or what makes them tick and what makes them flawed and it doesn't rely on somebody facing death you know like um i i think the show most similar to mad men in terms of theme and i've told you this before maybe off uh mic or whatever but it's the sopranos yeah but with sopranos you got you kind of have that pulpy flavor of like eh, anybody can get like uh shot at any time mad men is able to kind of thread the needle in which like you feel this tension with the characters and it's all about their existential journeys and I just feel like like this is what we're experiencing right now with an episode like Ship in a Bottle. It's an existential question facing Moriarty, and he wants to exist. He wants to pursue life. He he's his main goal is to get the governess <laughs> off the holodeck so that they can live a life together. And yeah. you know whether they're it's just a partner or a partner in crime, who knows? But like just see them go off in that shuttlecraft. Like, uh, I don't know, off to like, what, Mellis 5 or whatever? It's 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 kind of a beautiful moment. And then you see Picard walk into the holodeck. You see the holodeck grid, like, you know, kind of turn around. And then he gets to end the program yet again. And then you see another holographic grid, like, yeah. <laughs> turn to that. It's just so like, hell yeah, this is such clever writing. You get to watch Picard be a genius. Kim Picard is it's just been like a doddering old Mr. Magoo man for the last two seasons of Star Trek, and that's like I've not been enjoying that. Whatever, like it's just like what what's going on? First of all, I'm glad you brought up you know Mad Men. That's very appropriate given that Jared Harris uh, went on to play Moriarty in the second Sherlock Holmes movie. So uh, oh. points to you for that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh... Cam, I have to admit, I never saw that one. Um, I have not seen uh, either of those, uh, I'm afraid. I am not a person that, like, nods off in, like, especially (laughs) those types of movies, you know, kind of like blockbuster stuff. I nodded off during the first Sherlock Holmes movie in theaters. uh, And the second one was, it was a a rough sit. I I don't like either of those Downey Jr. uh, Sherlock Holmes movies. But, no, nonetheless. I will will interrupt briefly. Mm. This is the thing that bugs me most about the trailer for the first one. You know, you have like, uh, there's that moment in the trailer in which Robert Downey Jr. pulls out like that wrench against that henchman, that like muscled henchman. And then he pulls out like a bigger wrench 
And I'm like, oh, that's just totally ripping off uh, Serenity. <laughs> and watch uh, Malcolm like pulls out like that dagger. And then uh, the operative, played by Chuatel Ejiofor, just pulls out the sword. I'm like, you're directly ripping off a movie that came out like two years earlier. Like that kind of made me cringe right there. I also feel like that's an old like Looney Tunes thing. Where it's like they just like I don't know Yosemite <laughs> Sam and like Bugs Bunny keep pulling out bigger weapons against each other or something or Marvin the Martian. Uh, Joss Whedon, you're the new Mel LeBlanc. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think it's Bl- just Blanc LeBlanc. He's not related to Matt LeBlanc, I don't think. <laughs> no, he's not Joey. Actually, okay, Cam, Cam, I know you're making a really, really good point, sure. and I've totally derailed that. Though I apologize so much, but I, this is something that okay, it's in my mind right now. Can we keep complaining about our fears about Star Trek Picard season three? Mm. Could you imagine like like I watched the finale thirty years ago of the next generation, and to me, like, okay, well, I know I'm getting a movie in in a couple months, but this is kind of the end of the journey. There's no way in my nine year old mind I thought that you know like thirty eight year old Tyler would be getting to see this crew reunite for one last adventure yet again. And it kind of got me thinking about, like, I still think there's a chance that maybe the Friends crew, like, they might even do this, like, one more time. You know, we had the kind of, like, Warner Brothers reunion, like, backlot thing. But I think at this point, anything is possible. Maybe the Friends cast needs another 20 years. I don't know. But it's just, it's such a weird era in entertainment in that we can even have the possibility of us, like, moaning and groaning about what season three of Picard might be. Like, we we should consider ourselves lucky, despite all this. Cam, do you even remember the point you were trying to make before I derailed you completely, like, seven minutes ago? I do, actually. Um, But I will say, we live in a time... Sorry about that. I'm so sorry. (laughs) We live in a time where who's the boss and Night Court are coming back, so it's like... (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of insanity for bringing anything back. But you were talking about just like the Picard ending program after program. And I'm like, this is done so cleanly. Yes. There is no one who's confused by the end of this episode. And they are doing it in minimal dialogue in a way that makes complete sense. The rules are set up and paid off. And look at like how confused we were through Picard season two for so many of the concepts, which really aren't that complicated at the end of the day, but they made them so muddled that you sit there just trying to untangle a web to understand the story, whereas an episode like this makes it so, so clear and easy to understand. So, you know me, I like my tangents, but it is related to what you're talking about. It's like how convoluted season two of Picard was, um, and season one for that matter, and, and I'd say the last, you know, well, a lot of discovery too. Um, I've been rewatching season two of The Mandalorian in anticipation for season three coming up. Uh, we'll be doing the Camdelorton report simultaneously with Picard season three. Um, I, I guess after episode three ish, four ish okay. of Picard. But um, it's interesting. Like as much as I, <laughs> it's actually kind of giving me appreciation for Picard, and that like. Mando is like really easy to digest. You, the emotional beats hit you. It is very engaging to watch, but the show is very fluffy. It's not really about anything heavy at all. Whereas they're trying to do that in Picard, 
I mean, they're failing, but at least they're reaching for that. And that's kind of why I've always been more of a Star Trek person than a Star Wars person. That said, I, I'm still enjoying season two of Mando way more than I enjoyed uh, season two of Picard. And I was listening to an interview uh, today, like a podcast today. It's called On Writing. And Tony Gilroy was the guest, and he was talking about writing season one of Andor. And to me, it just felt like more and more like Andor was kind of, okay, if Discovery is the Star Wars version of Star Trek, then Andor is the Star Trek version of Star Wars. And like, you're trying to tackle like heavier concepts and like what it means to exist and pursue life and all that sort of stuff. This, Gilroy is just amazing. Like he kind of was trying to sum up how he wants to write scenes and like every scene must be vivid i'm trying to i'm trying to create something visual with every single scene that i do whereas i just keep thinking about all these like clinic scenes and season two of picard <laughs> where it's like oh this is just kind of the blandest 1990s sort of filmmaking you can imagine for television um he was talking about a sequence he was writing um, that day that he did the interview uh, for Andor Season 2. And there's two characters. They get into an elevator in a building. And, you know, uh, one says to the other, the, obviously there's going to be some sort of action that uh, unfolds. And one says to the other, like, well, well, why aren't you nervous right now? Another character says, well, I used to live here. And, and it's just like, it's, it's a tiny little thing to chew on. But it, it just gives so much more meaning versus like, Rafi walking to like a cop cruiser, pulling out her phaser, shooting out the window, jumping into the car and like blasty blasty on like the computer, and then she and Seven take it off for a ride. I'm just like, who cares about anything that's going on here? There's nothing at all to chew on. And it's just kind of like those are the things that are just like digging into my brain about like it just it doesn't seem as if it takes that much more effort to make writing something way more engaging in, in, in what you care about what these characters are doing, what defines them. And that said, I mean, I mean, like, I I don't think you, you think like, oh, Tony Gilroy is just, you know, kind of a, some schmo Hollywood hack. He, he's somebody clearly puts a lot of thought into it, but it, it the way he breaks it down, it's like, yeah, why, why aren't more people putting that same sort of thought into what they're writing? And I remember even walking out of the movie Widows, the Steve McQueen film, and you know, saying to you just how impressed I was with McQueen's ability to just run a scene, to make a scene just feel alive moment to moment, and to repeatedly do that over the course of a two-hour movie. And I see so much of that in this episode, which was directed by Alexander Singer. I want to give him the credit and written by Rene Echeverria. Um, but like, even a scene where it's just Picard talking to uh, Regina, you know, Moriarty's love, about essentially trying to create a compromise, find a compromise to solve the problem that they are facing. And it is two characters who start off, they're kind of flirting, and then it turns into a discussion about what Moriarty wants and what Picard can try to get across that could maybe give him like essentially what he wants, but also help the crew. And at a certain point, Picard says, like, I'm responsible for whatever the number is, like a thousand plus lives on this ship and you see the way that she responds to him and it's like these are just two actors opposite each other in a room and that scene feels so alive and it is not the big showpiece of the episode the big showpiece is the 
you know, the confrontations between Moriarty and Picard and a lot of the, the problem solving that goes on towards the end of the episode. But like consistently throughout this entire hour long story, they are just making every scene the best it possibly can. It seems as if if you take away kind of the, uh, okay, uh, was it Orson Welles that was talking about like, you know, the best like the, the the worst enemy of creativity is like unending resources like i know i'm mangling that sort of quote but you know what i'm talking about right he said that during transformers the movie right yes orson welles did yes <laughs> he was the that was his final role <laughs> what yeah the voice of unicron in uh transformers the movie from the oh 80s. i thought you were talking about like the michael bay movie oh no, like, no 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 <laughs> megan fox i was like i was like wait was Orson Welles playing the originally cast as a Megan Fox character? Oh, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it's essentially like kind of like, that's what it feels like we're getting with like um, Picard. And like, eh, the thing is, the whole reason they did season two in LA is because they wanted to save up the budget for yeah. season three of Picard. And that makes me very, very fearful. Um, I wish every single episode of season two of Picard was like some sort of bottle episode on the Stargazer. Like that would have been whatever they had to come up with, like whatever they're forced to do, whether it was dealing with this, um, I don't know, weird sort of trans warp conduit with this weird time traveling. Or I don't think she, I don't think, you know, Gerardi, the Borg queen was time traveling at that point. I think she had just been around for 400 years at that point, but like, Think about, like, how much more you'd get out of this with, you know, Q popping in occasionally versus, like, Picard giving a pep talk to his clinically depressed ancestor. You know? It's just like, oof, oof. And so are we going to find ourselves in Season 3 Picard where it's just, like, nonstop starship pew, pew, pew sort of stuff? Which I, I, I can watch, you know, like, four minutes of that in Prodigy and my breath is taken away, but am I going to have to experience, like, I don't know, like, a total of, like, 120 minutes of that in Season 3 of Picard? Like, that's not why I want to see this TNG crew reunited once more. This episode made me actually quite concerned about seeing Moriarty back in Picard Season 3. Okay. Because I thought the ending of this was so perfect. Mm -hmm. Giving Moriarty and Regina their freedom to go explore the galaxy together, to essentially go back to Earth in this holodeck simulation. And it's not about Picard having the, aha, you know, I got you, Moriarty moment. It's giving these two characters their perceived freedom to go explore the galaxy together and then ending it that way. I was like, what like a perfect kind of happy ending to those characters? Like, do I want to see a Moriarty who's coming back and being like, how dare you get one over on me, Jean-Luc? I realized at a certain point it was a simulation and blah, 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 blah. Now I'm going to like team up with Lore and cause evil on the Enterprise. Like, <laughs> is that is that compelling? I, I don't know. Like, uh. never say never, because I thought Khan had a very strong ending at the end of Space Seed, but they really found a way to make that work for Wrath of Khan. So I never want to say you can't bring back a, a character after a really perfect ending. But like... I, I don't know. It makes me a little nervous because Picard hasn't earned my uh, um, trust yet in terms of like bringing back a legacy character. Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you're saying, though. Um, 
my understanding, and I could be wrong, maybe Moriarty isn't going to be like a giant part of season three of Picard. How he ties into it, I, I hope it feels natural, but you and I were talking about this off mic last week. It's kind of speculation that like maybe the danger here is that they finally have figured a way to get Moriarty you know, outside of kind of this holographic existence slash existence within like this memory core that uh, Reg was showing off at the end of the episode. And remember Robert Picardo <laughs> very strangely was like tweeting out that he had been cast in season two of Picard. <laughs> and we're like, huh? What? <laughs> and he never showed up. And then I just like you and I were speculating last week off mic that, well, I don't know, like maybe it's he was getting kind of confused and maybe it's actually season three that he's going to be on and this is a holographic character with a mobile emitter what does that mean for the potential of moriarty roaming about in the real world and it kind of makes me think about like um characters that weren't necessarily on my radar but folks that maybe had a little bit more story to tell coming from the next generation era now at least just going purely off the face of it because we don't know what the real story of Season 3 Picard is. We don't know what Amanda Plummer's character is up to. And that clearly is going to be the driving force of the season. Yes. Um, but, like, we've seen lore. We've seen Moriarty. It seems like there's something to do with, like, artificial life forms. Um, like, villains from the past. Are there any other examples of that from TNG that spring to mind? I don't know. The uh, crystalline entity? Yeah. Um, is that artificial, though? Yeah, I would say that is an alien presence. Uh, I'm trying to think about like artificial life forms. Um, yeah, hmm. uh, like or artificial, like cyborgs or anything like that. I I, I don't want to touch the Borg ever again. Yeah, like, I, I'm kind of done with them at this point. Um, I don't know. So, uh, Cam, I will admit, I made a little bit of a list of folks that maybe there's a little bit more story to tell, and I think the closest we have to some sort of artificial character that could come back. Of course, is, uh, well, you know, one Alexander Roshenko. <laughs> oh, I, I was hoping you were going to uh, mention the um, the Voyager two-parter uh, bad guy from, like, was it, like, Hope and Fear or something? The, the evil hologram? Okay, I think i have it right i think that guy's name was artem okay um if it's i don't think it was a hologram though i think uh he was just kind of an alien being that disguised his own alien vessel as a federation vessel through kind of like holograms and all that sort of stuff and his species had been assimilated by the borg and he blamed it on voyager striking a like a temporary alliance with the borg Back in season uh, three, four, uh, the Scorpion um, two-parter there. I believe his name is Artem. The fact that I can remember those sorts of things, and I could be wrong about his name, um, um, and this sort of stuff does not make me any sort of money in real life. It um, it really crushes my soul, Cam. <laughs> well, and I, I mean, don't think he's coming back for season three of Picard. I hate to break it. Yeah, because... Uh, it doesn't seem like there's a lot in terms of like alternate options from TNG antagonists that you could bring in to pair up with a Moriarty or a Lore, but 
they have talked about how there's other characters that they want to bring back. Also, they're not going to, like, I don't think, reveal all of their surprises in their trailers. I think there's going to be characters who pop up that we don't see <laughs> coming. So, I... Cam, yes. I, I, I figured it out. I figured it out. It's the holographic version of Leia Brahms. Um, oh yeah she's gonna gonna get the the mobile emitter and she's gonna be uh very disgusted when she sees that uh jordy has married the uh the flesh and blood version of uh leah (laughs) um you know like decades later right i'm not against this at all i i do wonder because i (laughs) i know that um you know the showrunner has said that there's those characters he wants to bring back and when I was watching this one, and you're seeing how involved he is in the overall story, I really began to think, is Reg Barkley someone we might see pop up again in an episode? Because it doesn't feel like we have an ending to that character, and we are in full uh, just drag all of the <laughs> all of the characters back to the forefront through the history of the franchise. It makes a lot of sense to me to bring him back. Okay, so what, what do we get into it about like characters that might make sense to bring back you know moriarty wasn't necessarily on my radar but you know i can understand why they'd be tempted to do so like reg like we saw him a lot in voyager and it just seemed like a very weird storyline i preferred him much more on uh say deep space nine yeah uh or no sorry that was uh that was dr zimmerman Uh, yeah yeah. uh yeah but um maybe it's just dr zimmerman we're seeing in uh Picard season three, but I'm I'm thinking about like TNG characters specifically. I agree with you. I think there's like they just need to tie a bow on Reg, right? I, I don't see him being the captain of a starship at this point. That would be fascinating. It would be. But there are other characters where I kind of feel like you need to tie a bow on them to a certain degree. Like um we've brought up Commander Shelby before. I'd love to see her return. But the thing is like Patrick Stewart's been obsessed with Picard's love life since I think season one of TNG. And I just, do you think Neela Darren from Lessons might be kind of the perfect person versus say a Vosh sort of character? I don't know. I feel like if he's with Laris now, that's, that's that. They are not is, bringing back. Is he? <laughs> well, the show does like to reboot itself every uh, every you know season, basically. So uh, who, who knows? It, like he just totally swerved her uh, in in season two, and then it was just like left very ambiguous at the end of this uh, the season as well. And how much of it is like it was more like they wanted to set up that Picard was now open to love, but then you queue up Beverly. Like I, I don't know, like. I'm not necessarily saying like like Neela Darren is coming back. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Vosh is coming back. You know, I, I'm just saying like, is there like a bow to tie on these particular characters that really popped in their appearances? I mean, I think Neela Darren far more so than Vosh. Like Vosh, I'm fine with her. She's just out there chasing yeah. artifacts, whatever. Bring her onto lower decks. That's fine. We can do something there. Sure. But um, in terms of like the Neela Darren story, I don't know. I think I would be interested. And I think I had said I would happily just sit and watch Picard talk to old loves a la High Fidelity, you know, on an episode of Picard (laughs) or even an entire season. But do other people hold that episode in as high regard as we do? Do people talk about Neela Darren in the same way? (sighs) Okay, so like 
It's such a tough thing. Okay, so I am going to jump onto IMDb as we speak. I believe Lessons was in season six. I think it's a fairly well-regarded episode, but I know what you're saying. Like, I am on all the uh, the Star Trek Facebook groups. I don't yeah. see a lot of Neela Darren gifs yeah. <laughs> being shared necessarily. Like, there is a uh, Vedic Baral movement on Tumblr these days. I'm not hearing the Neela Darren. That you're spearheading, <laughs> that you are spearheading, sir. I'm be- I am being celebrated. Um, my uh, Baral song has uh, captured their imagination. but So my support goes out to all of them. But yeah, like I don't have that sense of a similar kind of like hmm. a real like fan kind of shipping of Neela Darren. Like I don't hear a lot of like we need to get Neela Darren back. Yeah. The thing I always hear is people want to see Beverly and Picard back or together ultimately. Yeah. And I don't think the writers of New Trek are against just giving fans essentially what they want. So it would not shock me if they set up Picard being open to love, but kind of ambiguously with Laris at the end of season two and then having him get together with Beverly by the end of season three. So I've looked up lessons on IMDb and it's more kind of um, not a super lower. It's a 7.5. But if you look at the episode that aired right before it, it was Starship Mine, which is kind of the diehard episode. That's a 7.9. Yeah. And the one that came after was The Chase, in which they kind of figured out why everybody, all these aliens kind of look like humans, more or less. That's an eight. But um, I'm trying to think. Okay, so what are comparable? Okay, so another 7.5 from season six is Second Chances with uh, Tom Riker. Maybe I'll just use that as kind of a, a segue. Yeah. I think there's Tom Riker's story Ooh. left to tell. I really think there is. And, and Cam, I, I, this is not, this is only speculation territory. Um, I kind of suspect Tom Riker's coming back, or else I kind of think Will Riker might be, um, meeting his maker at some point in season three. Cam, if there is any TNG character, most likely to die in the third season. I think out of everybody, I think it's Will. And it, let me go through this. We, we, we know that Data's already dead. Yeah. We know that Picard has already died. What if he dies again and we get a new body? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past these writers. <laughs> um, but it's a human body and they're like, always reversed. <laughs> <laughs> they, they they get his skeleton out and regenerate all the, uh, the flesh. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Transfer the memories yet again. Um, I don't think they're killing off uh, Crusher or Deanna. Nope. Uh, I look. Jordy seems happy with his family. I don't think they're killing Jordy. To me, I think out of all the characters that we have left, there's so much more Worf story to tell. I think if you're going to kill off any of the seven main crew members that you haven't already before, you've already killed off, you know, two of them and um, Wesley. Uh, is off with his new um, hopeful girlfriend, uh, Corey, <laughs> and Tasha has already been killed off. I, I think, like, I don't know. Are, are, do you disagree? Or, like, I'm open to suggestions, but I think Will is the most likely candidate to get croaked in season three. And also, a lot of the press has been people just talking about, like, Jonathan Frakes is incredible this season. We are seeing amazing work from Jonathan Frakes. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Frakes mm-hmm. is going to be doing more than you've seen him do forever in Star Trek Season 3 Picard. Hmm. Suspect. Like, it, it does feel like yeah. they're really hyping up the presence of Riker. 
And I don't know, if you're an actor and you play a legendary character, at a certain point, sometimes killing them can work out really well in your favor. You know, Daniel Craig, that's the only way they got him back for that last Bond movie was he wanted to kill James Bond. Spoiler. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that that was what drew Patrick Stewart back for Picard season one. But <laughs> like, God, I hope not. I'm sure that actually I know this for a fact, like the only way they got Jennifer Lawrence back for Dark Phoenix was if she would die in that movie. So like, I do think there's some appeal. Also, I think actually um, Harrison Ford doing Star Wars The Force Awakens as well. That was a big thing he'd always wanted to do was kill Han Solo. He wanted to kill him in Return of the Jedi. So if Jonathan Frakes, who's very comfortable directing Star Trek, like he is more than happy to just be out there directing Star Trek episodes as the, you know, series keep going. And you know what? He can pop into lower decks, do voices on that. But if he can have like his, you know, Wrath of Khan Spock death scene, that's a pretty great way to kind of like put a button on the legacy of that character. Yeah, but here's my fear. He dies in episode five and then Uh the final scene, uh, episode 10, it's Tom Riker showing up. And it's just him saluting Picard. He's like, Jean-Luc, let's go on our next adventure. And the music <laughs> swells. And we're like, oh, my God. Really? Or, <laughs> really? or Riker dies, and they're laying him in the casket. And, like, Troy goes to, like, ru- you know, run her hand along the side of his face. And one of the, <laughs> one of the sideburns comes off. And then she looks up, you know, awe. And, like, we cut. To a ship somewhere. Riker's there in the, you know, in the seat. Blur's song two kicks in and we fire off into the stars. <laughs> Cam, I, I wouldn't put it past these writers. <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be amazing. Yeah. Okay. But he's dressed up like one of the starship troopers, right? Obviously, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. I want to put it past these writers. Uh, okay, another character we might need to put a button on here. Um, Ro Laren. Like, I just... Mm-hmm. It does not feel as if her story's done. You know, where we left her off with um, preemptive uh, strike. And I just... I feel like there's one last conversation she needs to have with Picard. You know, it would, it would just be amazing to see that uh, happen, you know, it's like 30 years later. Like... You know, you know, what does her life mean now? Have the Bajorans like joined the Federation at this point? You know, by the time we see Lord Dex, I get this sense. I mean, Kira's still in the Bajoran militia, so the answer is no. You know, about five years after, um, kind of things wrapped up with Deep Space Nine, but I, I could imagine, you know, maybe uh, thirty years later, the Bajorans are in the Federation. What does that mean for a character like Ro? You know, that that's kind of. I don't know, it's just one of those what-if sorts of characters. Ro may be at the very top of my list of characters with unsatisfying endings that I really feel like we need resolution to. Uh, Her going off to join the Maquis is great, but like the Maquis are all wiped out and we got no real answer as to what was going on there. Uh, There's other characters like, you know, we've talked a lot about Sela in the past. Who, like, I would have been interested in a Sela return as a villain this season. But like, if it doesn't happen, eh, my life goes on. I feel like Ro, though, played such a significant presence in that mid period of the show, and to not have mm-hmm. an ending that feels really kind of carved in stone. Because I don't think Michelle Forbes wants to like have her own spinoff or be showing up at you know ongoing Star Trek shows in the future. 
But, like, to have maybe, like, an episode or two where we acknowledged where that character was that could kind of just, like, leave us with a button on that character, I think that would be fantastic. Um, And the only one after Ro that I, I really think it's um Ben the Waiter from uh, Season 7, uh, Episode Lower Decks. Yeah, of course. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I want to know, is he the... Uh... Is he the head waiter at this point? That's an excellent question. Um, um, do we need? Okay, no, 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 but in all seriousness, um, do we get a Chief O'Brien check-in? He's maybe uh, I don't know, in charge of teaching engineering at Starfleet Academy at this point. I think they're gonna hold on to O'Brien until they have something maybe a little special to do. I don't know that we need a cutaway to like Starfleet Academy to just O'Brien. I don't know what they'll do with him. But uh, I I don't know like I don't know this seems like it could be a busy season already I, but then I also wouldn't yeah, I uh, it wouldn't shock me if they're like CGing characters together into like a big scene at the end of the series at all. Um, well, let me th- throw this at you then. Um, we know that Crusher. This is not a big spoiler. I think this is gonna happen within the first thirty seconds of like the season one premiere. But we know Crusher is captaining her own ship in response to kind of medical emergencies you know um do you think one Alyssa agawa might be serving on that ship or might make an appearance somehow or do you think they even need to touch on agawa who was kind of like she get like a few lines here or there but she was kind of like a known presence like kind of a um a, a safe familiar presence throughout you know a pretty long run of tng well i'm gonna take a long way of answering your question but like when Picard the series launched, it was all about, this is not TNG. We are not doing TNG anymore. We are telling the story of Picard. And for two seasons, they stumbled through that very awkwardly. And yeah. they finally basically are just giving fans exactly what it seems they want. It really does feel like fan service the season of Picard. And so, like, if you'd have asked me earlier on, do I think Ogawa is going to show up? In Picard season three, when I'm watching season one, I would have said no. <laughs> but at this point, mm-hmm. it would not shock me at all. Is kind of like what I was saying. If we have even like a moment where they CG a whole bunch, and I say CG because often you can't get actors all together for like a big group shot, so they CG them all together the way they do, say, the finale of an Avengers movie or what have you. Um, it would not shock me if they are CG. Yeah, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that the actress who played Alyssa Agawa, she's like, sorry, can't make it. Well, way you too know. busy. Yeah, you know, I, like, uh, I, I, I can I don't think this is Avengers Endgame right here. Sure, sure. I, maybe she lives in Iceland or something. What do I know? Um, but like, you know, that's a very good question, Cam. What do you know? I, I know nothing. But but I guess the point is like I can see them putting all of these characters together in some sort of grand scene at the end of the season yeah yeah so we'll have alexander we'll have neil darren commander think- shelby tom Riker, ro laren barkley <laughs> lore uh vash o'brien ben the waiter nurse Agawa, all in this final scene on like the new 10 ford at the uh enterprise f well i think the essentials would be uh ogawa maybe o'brien barkley ro um, I'm trying to think if there's someone else. Uh, Wesley, I know they've said like Will Wheaton's not appearing on this season, but I-, I wouldn't rule that out. Like even just a very quick snippet at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, look, I, I, I <laughs> my guess is we're going to sound like complete fools by the time we get to episode 10 of 
Picard season three. Cam, let me ask you this. Are you looking forward to, to Picard season three at this point? No. Well, okay. I guess I've really gone kind of on a journey with this because I've definitely been very mm-hmm. negative about this season. I guess at this point, it's sort of like, show me what you are going to do, Picard season three, because I could have never predicted what season two was going to be. And so season three, like, I don't have high hopes of it being good, but I'm just kind of like curious what they think is good and what they're going to do with these beloved characters. We've already (laughs) run Picard through the ringer. What are we going to do to these other legacy favorites? (laughs) They all turn to androids Uh, by the end of the season. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I I was kind of excited (laughs) until we did the season two rewatch. Like yeah. that's like oh or, I don't know about excited, but I was looking forward to revisiting these characters once again, and then I just felt like I'd been slapped around so hard by the time I got to the end of season two, and then it really deflated my anticipation of the third season. Um, the thing that I keep wanting to touch on, like Worf, like I just he had such an amazing journey in Deep Space Nine, and I you I just get the sense that. He's the main character whose journey is not done more than any other character from TNG at this point. And I just, I really hope they do him justice in some way that makes me feel satisfied, you know, by the end of this, you know. And and this is a very, this is one of the most flawed characters in Star Trek in in that, like, he was a terrible, he he was a terrible father. Um, He had a lot of learning to go through from, you know, a security chief that wanted to pew 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 all the time on TNG to strategic operations officer on DS9 slash the first officer on the Defiance. Um, he lost a wife. Uh, he became a diplomat and the, you know confidant to the new chancellor of um, the Klingon Empire. It just seems as if there's kind of like this more like this epic journey that Picard's or not Picard but that Worf has yet to experience and so that's the thing i'm I'm gonna get a little bit hung up on about where Worf goes from here yeah i mean Worf is definitely a big question mark hanging over the season and i hope that they're not just setting him up for like a spinoff which i'm like Ugh, uh, okay there was two other things i would like to see this season because a lot of the topic of what we're but the point of revisiting ship in a bottle was to basically break down like what we would like to see and how to make star trek fun again there was two other things i noted and one of them we've kind of talked about, but it's just like intellectual villains are a necessity opposite Picard. You cannot put him up against like a Nero-like figure or something. And when you look at like the antagonists on the previous two seasons of Picard, they weren't, they didn't properly mesh with that character. When I'm going through and I'm acknowledging Moriarty, but also Gal Madrid, the Borg Queen, these are very intelligent characters that can match wits with the protagonist. Uh, we have not seen that on Picard yet. I mean, Dr. Soong, he's, in theory, a very intelligent character, but the two of them have zero dynamic with one another, and there's no, like, kind of one-upsmanship of trying to out-scheme each other, so that's all off the table. There's not even, like, a really good dialogue scene between the two of them, and Q had very little to do in Season 2. Season 1, I don't know what Narek was doing. He's off in his own story. Rizzo has no relationship with Picard, and O has very minimal things to do. I think this Amanda Plummer villain, you have to, you have to write a very intelligent antagonist. 
and create more of a chess match between her and Picard. Because that's what Picard does best is when he has to really think. And they haven't given him a reason to do that too much on the last two seasons. How many face-to-face encounters might Picard and Vatic have, the Amanda uh, Plummer character have, in this season? Because I, I think one of the good things that they at least pushed forward in Nemesis is like, there. remember there's um, Shinzon kind of made a holographic projection of himself in Picard's mm-hmm. ready room. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they need to have these characters come face to face with each other versus just view screen interactions. And I, I hope they find a way to make that happen with Vatic. I mean, to be fair, uh, Ratha Khan, Kirk and Khan only spoke over view screens, but you also had the relationship established in Space Seed. So for people who'd seen that episode, they could bring something to the table. But I also I'd not... call it the exception versus yeah, the rule. Definitely. You know, and, and and being able to pull that off. Definitely. So I, I wouldn't also rely on Picard season three to be up to the level of storytelling of Star Trek two. I mean, Nicholas Meyer is a very unique individual. So I, I don't know that I expect the same level of uh, creative um, ingenuity coming from this team, but I can always hope. The other thing, and it's kind of a small thing, but really jumped out at me in watching Ship in a Bottle. Just the science aspect that it's always kind of going on in the background of the show and i'm not like a big science guy like that's not one of my big passions in life but what i like about star trek is it just adds to the world building there's all this stuff going on in this episode about you know the birth of a new star and planets that are coalescing or something like that the way that they have little interjections of just the science going on in the background it just creates this whole tapestry for the storytelling that really feels rich and that is absent there's absolutely not a second of that stuff in picard season two and i don't think there was any in season one either that i can really recall just bring some of that back please how dare you drag on drones cam i was so fascinated with the science of drones in season two of picard i mean there is science i suppose with the uh you know kore sung uh cloning stuff but like it's it's not like part of the world it's always like the focus of a plot or something yeah like i like I know what you're saying. Like it's part of the world building, versus like uh, we must destroy these drones before they crash into the starship that's about to lift off for this very important mission carrying Renee Picard. And it's like okay, whatever. And we kind of always know, like oh yeah, like I'm pretty sure the crew's gonna succeed here. I like the idea, like maybe the crew doesn't always succeed every time here like i think they're look i think terry metallis the showrunner of season three um he was an executive producer of season two but he was not the showrunner i think he's been saying all the right things um but it still makes me very wary of what we're going to get in one week's time i will admit i am kind of looking forward to one week from now just talking about the premiere because If anything, I guess what I've come to expect from Picard is that whatever we watch next week is not going to feel like the previous seasons of Picard. Because when we tackled the premiere, the Stargazer of season two, that certainly didn't feel like an episode from season one Picard. So I'm kind of expecting that with this upcoming premiere as well. Well, how they lured us into that uh, Black Widow's web with that uh, season two premiere. Yeah, no kidding. Well, we'll find out, folks. So I guess on that note, our assignment is complete. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, we want to hear from you, of course, on the Facebook page. And we will be back with coverage of the premiere of Picard Season 
three. Tyler, on a level of like one to five, five being the highest, how hyped were you for Picard season one premiere? Five being the highest. Um, hmm. I'm trying. Like, I want to be legitimate about like yeah. how I was feeling ahead of time. And what I keep going back to is like our experience when Patrick Stewart walked out on the stage. I think it was in like 20, what was it? Like 2018, 2019 Mm -hmm. at Las Vegas at the largest Star Trek convention in the world and how the crowd just erupted. Then I could have said I was at a five. But then what happens? We kept watching like Discovery episodes and it wasn't like the greatest live action stuff. But I think leading into the premiere... Yeah, I like. I want to be honest. Like, I I think I was at a five for the season one premiere, but by the time we got the season two premiere, boy, I I think I was closer to more like a uh, a two. Like honestly. Okay, and what about this one? I'm at a three and a half. If I if I just want to be honest, like I have hope for it, but I'm also very wary about what it might bring. What about you, sir? Uh, all three seasons. I would say probably a four. I think for Picard season one, like I wasn't like exploding out of my chair to like watch the uh, premiere of the you know Picard season one because uh, I was very just even though I was just as you said like barking like a seal when uh, Patrick Stewart walked on stage I was still very nervous about just bringing back the TNG characters um, especially Picard in like a solo show uh, so I'd say a f- it was like a four there was a little bit of caution there season two it was like I think it was pretty low I think it was like probably a two and this season, this upcoming premiere, season three, maybe a three. I think I might be like with you, like right around that kind of midpoint where it's like, weirdly, I'm more excited, which is kind of like, kind of concerning considering the <laughs> the abuse that uh, season two heaped upon me that I'm suddenly more excited for season three. But it's like, I've come to a point where season two was so insane that I'm kind of more interested now to see what they're going to do versus like I went into season two kind of expecting a little bit of the mundane vanilla stuff that I got in season one. I just, I don't think season three can be worse than season two. I don't think there's any possibility that any season of Star Trek can be worse than season two of Picard, which I think like I just cannot wrap my head around television that bad. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, we can only wait and find out. <laughs> yeah, of we'll course. find out. <laughs> you can also find us on the Twitter. I'm at Cam V is in villains who are smart, please, Smith. And you can find me at Reporting. That's R E P O R T O N N as in Nursagawa will be the key to season three of Picard. Okay, so until next time, the arena is closed. That's a very good question, Cam. What do you know? I, I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs>